Hello, you brave people. Yeah, I love the first day of spring when it snows. That's great. <laughs> and you all made it. That's awesome. So if this is your first time here, I'm really glad you would come on a day like this to be here. So welcome. And if this is your first time, if you grab that Connect card that's in the worship folder, the bulletin, and you take that to the table out here after services, we got a gift for you. just want to say we're glad you came. The Connect card is simply a way for you to say, hey, I was here. It's not an invitation to for us to show up at 9.30 at night at your house. So <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. It's just a way of us communicating with each other. And we're glad all of you are here. We are in this study called His Story, and we'll be continuing through that today. So uh, Max Lucado, you probably heard of him. People call him America's pastor. He uh, wrote this about his daughters one time. He said he got an overdraft notice from the bank on one of his college-age daughter's checking accounts. Totally her account to be responsible for. But at the same time, he said... I know my daughters, they overspend, that's why I get the alerts on their accounts, so what's he going to do? He, he thought, well, should I send an angry text to her? You let your account get overdrawn. Which, okay, so that might help the next time, but what's it going to do for the checking account now? It's still going to be overdrawn, even if he lets her have it. So he's like, should I FaceTime her and tell her, you better put some money in your account? <laughs> right. Anybody know any college students, any of you college students right now? You got a lot of extra cash just laying around? No, he said, I know my daughter's liquidity, it is zero. I can tell her to make a deposit, it's not going to happen. So what is he going to do? He thought, well, I could transfer the money from my account to her account. I've certainly got the twenty-five, thirty-seven. she's overdrawn, plus I've, I can more than cover the overdraft fee. So that's what he did. He said, I'm a dad, that's what dads do. I just put the money in her account, made her whole again, made her, you know, got the bank off her back. Then he called her. And he said, honey, I just want to let you know you're overdrawn in your account if you didn't know already. And she didn't know. And she said, oh, dad, I'm so sorry. She said she's sorry. She did not offer to make a deposit to make it right. And she said, dad, can you? And he cut her off before she could ever even ask. He said, honey, I've already done it. See, that's what good dads do. They know what you need before you even need it. Sometimes even before you have to ask. Today, we're going to look at some of the events that happened the night before Jesus died. I want you to keep that thought in your mind as we study through this. God already knew what you needed and what I needed long before we ever knew it. You need grace and forgiveness and mercy? He's already offered it through Jesus. Just keep that in mind. You can ask him because he's already provided it for you. God already knows what you need before you even ask. So let's go ahead and dig into this. We're in chapter 11 of his story. If some of you, you've been here from the beginning, so you've been reading, and some of you are scratching your head. I don't even know what his story is. We've taken the, the Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They've been put into storybook format, into chapter format, but it's just the Gospels. It's just the Bible, and it's put in chronological order. So we've been looking at the life and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. It's been an incredible study. If you're here and you're newer and you'd like to get in on this, you can grab a copy. We asked for like a $5 donation. They're, they're out on the table out there. Just take one. And the podcast from the previous teachings are on our website or on iTunes. You can get caught up that way. Today, if you want to grab just a Bible, you can open to Mark chapter 11 on your Bible app or in a, in a Bible on, on paper. Or if you've got his story, you can turn to page 219. We're going to be looking at the last night before Jesus died, as I said. But I want to review because last week we started looking at the last week of Jesus' life. So let's go back to Sunday. And Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt of a donkey, a little, just a kind of a foal, just a young donkey. 
And uh, he and his disciples came into Jerusalem. He came in like a king riding on this colt. People, just large crowds of people were uh, cheering him on. They cut palm branches and laid them down in the road ahead of him. They put their own coats down. We call this the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, which is actually what we're celebrating today, but we talked about it last week. So he comes into Jerusalem on Sunday. Sunday afternoon, Jesus went to the temple in Jerusalem, looked around, and was not happy with what he saw. But it's too late to do anything. Jesus came back into Jerusalem Monday morning, went into the temple and cleared everything out because what he found there was just deeply disturbing to him. There were people selling animals and they were exchanging money. It was just like a a marketplace. And he said, you've turned my father's house, which is a place of prayer, into a den of robbers. You're ripping people off. So he clears everybody out and gets all that mess out of there. Well, then come back into town Tuesday morning to find that the religious leaders, the top Jewish leaders of Israel are furious at what Jesus has done. They were making a lot of money out of this racket. So they go to Jesus Tuesday morning when he comes into town. They said, by what authority do you do this? Who do you think you are? And they have this back and forth dialogue, and, and they don't really like what they're hearing from Jesus. And so on Wednesday, the top Jewish leaders are gathering together, conspiring, how can we kill him? We've got to get this problem off our plate. So now, as we pick things up in chapter 11 of his story, We are on Thursday. It's Thursday morning, Mark 14. And I'm going to start reading in verse 12. Let's see what happened. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, this is Thursday, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them, Peter and John, into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where's the guest room where I can eat Passover meal with my disciples? He'll take you upstairs to a large room. It's already set up. That's where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city, found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So just to point out what we're seeing here, we are seeing a providentially provided banquet room. It's it's a pretty cool thing. This is one of those true stories that even if you're really familiar with the Bible, you may have just read over this. You may be like, I've never read this before. I've never seen this before. This is a very interesting thing. How do you go into a city that is, because of Passover, expanded over a million people and find a room to celebrate Passover with your 12 people? Let me put this into context. You know what's happening this summer in Rio de Janeiro? Summer Olympics, right. Would you just show up there without reservations? I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) You don't go to the Olympics without reservations, and you don't go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover without having something arranged. As I said, there's over a million people who've come into Jerusalem to celebrate this. You don't just show up and find a place to stay, and yet that's exactly what happened here. You know what else you don't find when you walk into the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? What did Jesus tell Peter and John to look for? Like, here's how you're going to know where you're supposed to go. What was he looking, what were they looking for? Man carrying what? Water. Please don't judge and don't criticize me. I'm just telling you how it was in that day and age. This is their culture. Don't judge. This is their division of labor. Men didn't carry water. Women did that. I know what you're thinking. Women's work, really? This is 2016. You're saying, that's just how it was. That was their division of labor. Telling them to go into Jerusalem to look for a man carrying water is not like saying, look for me at the Cardinals game. I'll be wearing red. Going into Jerusalem and seeing a man carrying water was very unusual. It would be like saying, go into Jerusalem and look for the man carrying a purse. You're just not going to find it. Well, unless you go to Portland, hipster capital of the world, then you're probably going to find a lot of guys carrying a purse and maybe water too. I don't know. 
But telling them to go in there, this is like a real tip-off. Go find a guy carrying water. Really, Jesus, we're going to find a guy carrying water? Yes. Then they found a guy carrying water. They found the banquet center, and they went upstairs, and they found everything like Jesus said it would be. Here's the thing. I want you to focus in on this. Jesus knew that they would need a quiet place together, just he and his disciples, to share this one last Passover before he died. And there it is. It's available. God knew what you would need long before you ever knew it. Nothing catches God off guard. There is, I just want to remind you, nothing in your life catches God off guard or by surprise. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, I had no idea you were sick. We've got to do something about this. Your financial problems don't come as a surprise to God. Your, your sin doesn't surprise him. He knows you. He knows everything. He knows everything that was coming in your life. And he's already got an answer for you. If you'll just ask him, if you'll just pray to him, he's here for you. I think some of you need to hear that today. Let me take it a step further. God is not also surprised to find out where we together as a church are. God knows exactly where we are and where we need to be. You know, he didn't just go one day, oh my gosh, Connection Christian Church is still in the theater? How did that happen? Why didn't you guys tell me? It's not like a shock to God. It's not a surprise where we're going to be either. God already knows where our church needs. He knows what we need, and he knows how long it's going to take, and he knows what we need to do together and what he's going to do. He's got a plan for us. Really, just like on an individual basis, it's up to us together as a church to say, God, we trust you. We're going to follow you. We're going to do whatever you ask us to do because that's always the wisest and the best thing to do. But you know where we are, and you knew we would be here before we ever did, and you know where we're going to be two years from now, and we're just going to trust you that it's going to be the best thing possible, right? Don't ever believe that God doesn't know what you're going through. He's got it under control. All right, well, let's keep going. Mark chapter 14, verse 17. So Thursday evening, Jesus arrived with the 12 disciples, and as they were at the table eating, they're eating Passover, Jesus said, guys, I tell you the truth. One of you eating here with me will betray me. Greatly distressed, every disciple asked in turn, am I the one? And Jesus replied, it's the one of you, the one of the 12, who's eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scripture declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he'd never even been born. So what we see at this banquet is a stunning betrayal. One of the 12, one of the closest to Jesus. If you picture Passover, they weren't sitting in chairs like we would sit at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter meal. It was actually a, a low table, kind of a foot and a half, two feet off the ground. They would be reclining on their left elbow on pillows, eating with their right hand around a U-shaped table. So they're all just reclining next to each other, stacked up kind of like cordwood. And Jesus lets out this little disturbing piece of news. One of you is going to betray me. And they're all just shocked. How could? And I don't want you to picture Jesus as if he's like James Bond, 007. Like he's just cool and calm and collected and nothing ever bothers him. And he just very calmly looks them in the eye and says, oh, yeah, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. I picture Jesus was deeply disturbed by this. He was, he was angry. He was sad. He was disturbed that he even had to say this. But he knew that this was the truth. For one thing, it had been prophesied in the Old Testament writings long before he came that the Messiah would be betrayed. But he also just knew what was in a person's heart, and he knew that one of the 12 was not going to stay faithful to him. And so he, he's looking each one of them in the eye as he says this to them. And then it's interesting because the, the account tells us, this is eyewitness account, that they one by one started, they just went around the table. 
Lord, is it me? Andrew. Andrew, the one who brought his brother Peter to meet Jesus. Andrew, the one who brought the little boy to Jesus and said, I know there's this huge crowd you want to feed. This little boy's got a lunch. He's got two fish and five loaves of bread. And Jesus fed five. That was Andrew that brought that boy to Jesus. Andrew looked at Jesus and said, is it me? Andrew's brother Peter. Peter who walked on water. Peter who you know, witnessed the transfiguration. Peter who said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Peter looked at Jesus and said, Lord, is it me? Am I the one who's going to betray you? Bartholomew, Nathaniel, same guy. Nathaniel looked at Jesus. Nathaniel's the one that Jesus, when he first met him, said, now there is a true Israelite. There's nothing false about this guy at all. Nathaniel looked at Jesus and said, is it me? Philip looked at Jesus and said, is it me? James, <laughs> James had a hot temper. He was, and he was a little bit arrogant. He said, Lord, can my brother and I sit on either side of you when you come into your kingdom? He's a little arrogant, but he loved Jesus, and he was a good man. He said, Jesus, am I the one going to betray you? James's brother, John, also hot-tempered. Jesus called him the sons of thunder. A good nickname for them. John, John the one that Jesus loved. This is like Jesus' best friend on earth. Jesus, am I going to betray you? One by one, those 11 disciples around the table said, Lord, is it me? Now, there's a 12th guy sitting at the table, and he asked too because everybody else is asking. But he's, he's not like going, could I possibly be the one? He's broke out in a flop sweat because he knows he's actually already done it. Let me take you out of this text over to Matthew, Matthew 26, 14. Wednesday, the day before this Passover meal, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? They gave him 30 pieces of silver, and from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. So here it is. It's Thursday. Judas knows without a shadow of doubt. It's me that Jesus is talking about. But I want you to think about something. Every single person around that table that night was capable of betraying Jesus. Judas was the one who did it. It would have been better if he'd never been born, according to Jesus. But man, every one of those guys could have done it. Later that night, Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times with cursing. All of the 12 would just flee and abandon Jesus when he was arrested. And here's the thing that I think that we need to realize. This isn't just 2,000 years ago. All of us are capable of failing Jesus. And the more you think I will never fail, the more danger that you are in. Romans 3.23, later in the Bible, says this. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's not a person in this room, not a person in the world, who can say, I've always lived my life the right way. I have never done anything wrong. I have never hurt anybody. I have never blown it. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We ought, I, sometimes I read that verse just all by itself, but we ought to keep going because that thought continues. In verse 24, it says, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He didn't, through Christ, is how he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented a Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus and what he could be in their life, and I get a lot of pushback from people who are not interested in following Jesus. For whatever reason, I hear things like, yeah, but I'm a really good person, so I think I'm good. This one, I worked with a guy once many, many years ago. He said, my grandma is the most sincere Christian. She loves God, and so I think I'm good because my grandma's good. Okay, uh, you know, my, my dad's a pastor, my grandpa's a pastor, my uncle's a pastor, so you know, the whole family's kind of 
grandfathered in. <laughs> I've heard, I go to church, I pray, I'm very generous with my money. Again, I'm a good person. I, I want you to know, those are all great things. I am not putting any of that down. If you're a good person, I'm willing to agree with you that you're a good person. But that doesn't carry much weight with God in terms of paying for your sin. It, it, it's a drop in the bucket compared to what we've done before God. But the good news is, and this is why the message of, of Christians is that it's good news, is that God says, I don't care how hard you try, you can't make up for it, but I will pay for you what you can't pay for yourself. Everything. I'll write it all off. And, and people find that too good to be true, so they try to, you know, oh, okay, I can't, really can't be the way. No, that is. That is the message of the Christian faith, that Jesus paid stuff for us that we can't pay. You're good. Your whole life. Everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do, paid for. Because God knew what we would need long before we ever did. Now, I want to go back to Mark, and I want to look at what happened this at context of a meal. And I want us to look at this because this is so important to the idea of how God forgives us of our sins. Look at Mark 14, 22. So they're eating this Passover meal. It's the ultimate Passover meal. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and he blessed it. <coughs> and he broke it into pieces, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, for it's my body. And then he took a cup of wine, he gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. This blood is poured out as a sacrifice for many. And I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Okay, so as far as I know, I'm sorry if you are, but as far as I know, we're not Jewish and if you are, correct me after service, but since we're not Jewish, we miss a whole lot of the, the significance behind what it meant to celebrate Passover. So I want to just walk through a little bit of what that meant because it still has symbolic meaning to us 2,000 years later. Passover was the Jewish 4th of July. It's their Independence Day. At this point, if right here is Jesus celebrating Passover with his disciples, this has been going on for 1,400 years. You go all the way back into Jewish history, which would have been like 3,400 years for us. You go way back to the, the very first um, Passover. So let me just hit rewind and go back to the very first Passover and show you where it came from. Because by the time Jesus celebrated the ultimate Passover with his disciples, they've been doing this 1,400 times. It goes way back to the Old Testament time when the Israelite people were living in Egypt. So here they are, they're in Egypt, and they're not happy to be there. They are slaves. There's between 2 million, 3 million, maybe 4 million Jewish people living here, working for the leader of, of Egypt. His name was, or his title was Pharaoh. God sends a Jewish leader named Moses to go bring the people out of Egypt and take them to the land that's going to become the land of Israel, the land that we know is real. So Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not happy about letting his free labor force go. So he's like, okay, your God says to let the Israelite people go? I say no. Pharaoh says no. So God sent a series of 10 decimating plagues against the economy and the people of Egypt in order to change Pharaoh's mind so he would let his slave people go. So do you, do you remember any of this? Is this ringing any bells? Do you remember what the first plague was that God sent against Egypt? You can say it out loud if you know it. Changed water to, yeah, not wine. That was Jesus. Water to blood. Every stream, every river, every well. And first of all, it's just gross. But then you know what blood starts to smell like after it's been sitting for a while? That was, that was just plague number one. And then you've got flies and frogs and gnats and hailstorms. And, and the, the ninth plague was, was darkness. It was complete darkness everywhere. 
And Pharaoh still refuses to let the people go, so God sends the tenth and the worst plague. It's called the death of the firstborn. Every single firstborn in Egypt, male, uh, animal and people, are going to die in one night. Now, here's the thing. God said, I want to spare anybody who's willing to trust me. I will spare them. And, uh, and God, so he gave explicit instructions, especially to the people of Israel. Here's how you do not die on that night if you're firstborn. What they would do is, and this is the very first one. God told them all, I want you to pack all your stuff up in your house because you're going to leave tonight. Pack everything up, and you're going to make a quick meal. Take a lamb and sacrifice it. And I want you to take the blood from the lamb that you've just killed, and I want you to paint it on your doorpost outside your house. So, you know, the sides and the top, you're going to have blood all the way around your front door. And then I want you to cook the lamb, I want you to roast it, and you're going to eat this meal like you're ready to go. You're going to have like your, your suitcase hanging over one shoulder, and you're going to eat the meal with your other hand. And then that night, the, the angel of God, the death angel, went all through Egypt and killed every single firstborn male. Anybody here a firstborn besides me? Yeah, we're, we're going to be going like, Mom, Dad, did you paint the blood on the door? And animals, too. It didn't even spare Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh lost his son that night. What happened, though, when the death angel got to a door that had blood on it? He would pass over that house. That's why they call it Passover. And so Pharaoh wakes up in the middle of the night, as do people all over Egypt. They wake up, and all these people are dead. And Pharaoh, in the middle of the night, calls in. Moses says, just go. Just get out of here. And so in the middle of the night, the Israelite people leave, and they go to what will eventually become Israel, and they are never slaves again. Slaves to the Egyptians, anyway. Because God... God delivered them, and the death angel passed over them. There's so much symbolism. So let's go from 1,400 years ago to now. Jesus is celebrating this Passover meal. It's Independence Day. It's the Jewish 4th of July. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give a whole new meaning that, that always was there, but now you're going to understand the meaning in Passover because I am the Lamb of God. The Lamb that they sacrifice, that you've sacrificed every single year for 1,400 times, I am now the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. And so it implements this meal. And at the, at the Passover meal, there would be one person who would preside over the whole meal. Jesus obviously did that for his disciples that night. And they had a script they were supposed to follow every, every Passover. And so when Jesus took the bread, he was supposed to hold the bread up. And the script was, this is the bread of affliction that your fathers ate in the wilderness. But what did Jesus actually say? This is my body, afflicted, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I got to believe that after that night, none of those disciples ever looked at bread the same way again. Jesus gave it a whole new meaning. When they went around the circle and they said, is it me? Jesus died for them, and he died for us. And I don't know how you think about this, but this was for you too. You, when you take communion, which is something we do every week because Jesus said to, you're remembering that Jesus died for your mistakes and your sins and your failures and your shortcomings. Then Jesus took a cup, and, and I've, I've got four glasses here because during Passover there were actually four cups of wine shared. The first glass, Jesus and his disciples may have drank this down in the lower part of the house before they ever went upstairs, just with the hors d'oeuvres, the first glass. Then did you notice in the text he said there were two cups? There was a cup before dinner, and there was a cup after dinner. Let me just walk you through a little bit of the symbolism because there was something the presider would do every time with these. So the first cup, would they would have said a line from the Old Testament from Exodus 6. They would have said with the first cup, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
They call this the, the cup of sanctification, the cup of being set apart, God setting apart his people. Then when they got to the second cup, right before the meal, Jesus would have held the cup up and said, I will free you being, from being slaves to the Egyptians. This is the cup of the plagues or the cup of deliverance. Then after supper, it says Jesus took the cup, which would have been the third cup, and he would have said, I will free you from being slaves, I'm sorry, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This third cup is the cup of redemption, being redeemed, being bought back from slavery. Jesus said this when he held up the third cup after supper. He said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many people. You know, when we celebrate communion, I don't know if maybe you've ever thought of this before. Maybe you think of the death of Jesus just in purely theological terms. It's just something that, you know, it's something I learned. Or maybe you think of it in terms of historically. It's, it's just something that happened. Or you just think about it as just something that you learned when you were a little kid. And you've never made it personal to realize what, what Jesus did actually was for you and for me. That literally, a literal human being died on a Friday afternoon because of me and for me and in my place personalize that that was for you first peter chapter one says this you know god paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors and it wasn't paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value no it was paid for with the precious blood of christ the sinless spotless lamb of god that passover they did every year was a dress rehearsal for the one true lamb of god who would come to take away the sins of the entire world past present and future for us 2,000 years later we are still sitting in the consequences and the impact of what Jesus did on that cross. Now, he explicitly told his disciples that night, I want you to keep doing this. If you are my follower, I want you to keep doing, I want you to keep taking bread, I want you to keep taking wine, or we take grape juice, but I want you to keep doing this. I want to point you to something another Christ follower would write. It's in the Bible. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. What I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until, you, until he comes. So uh, just quick review, that last line of that verse. I think we've got the wrong verse up there. I'm sorry. I was going to say, look at it on the screen. Don't look at it on the screen. Let me read it out loud again. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what is it that we're doing every time we share communion together? What are we proclaiming? The Lord's death. Are we remembering his birthday? Remembering his teachings? His miracles? No, every time we celebrate communion, we're remembering Jesus' death. And that's explicitly what he wants us to do. Now, there is a, a fourth glass, and I haven't talked about it. There would have been a fourth glass at that meal. It's called the cup of Elijah or the cup of hope. They would have said this. I, God says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Remember how Jesus said, that night, as he shared, he said, I will not drink wine again until I drink it with you anew in the kingdom of God. We believe that Jesus left this glass untouched, undrunk. 
because there's going to come a time when Jesus comes back to the earth. 